you've found the Virtually Possible podcast. Join the discussion on future of work, organizational design and personal growth. Hello and welcome back on the pod. I am joined today by not one, but two guests, Bastian Kulte and Julian Clausen, are co-founders of Octomo. You're soon to be the go-to learning platform to build up your skill set and support your passion for continuous growth. As they're on the verge of launching their first course, we decided to sit down and shed more light on how they got started, where the company is headed, and talk about their ambitious goal to challenge the learning and development market. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, Maria. Uh, before we learn about you both personally, let's hit our audience with an elevated pitch of Octomo. The what, the why, the how of it all. Tell us about how does it work? What is the company about? Um, yeah, Octomo is a human-centric learning ecosystem for all professional skills. So think of uh, software engineering, marketing, negotiations, uh, leadership. And most professionals who advance their careers when learning online struggle with being left alone. And we connect them in small groups with like-minded people in weekly live calls so that they can discuss and support each other and bond with each other along their learning journey so that they can actually achieve their goals. So that's the high-level description. Can you tell us a little bit more about the practical setup? How does the user learn by using Octomo? And how do people interact with each other? Mm-hmm. Um, so in the, uh, our first course is um, related to Python programming. I'm actually thinking about taking it. Well, just to first of all learn Python, but then also to test the product. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Yeah, so how does it work? So it's basically a video-based program. We're collaborating with course instructors um, who are very experienced with providing video-based materials. Mm-hmm. And then the, our students, they can, uh, in a self-directed way, go through the curriculum and, and watch these videos. And then we also have these uh, video live sessions where they get together, like discussions, they do um, different uh, things such as pair programming, So on top of learning the actual skill of programming and data analysis and these sort of things, they're also learning a lot about communication, how to collaborate, because that's really, really important in the current job market. Mm-hmm. Can you access the whole course uh, from the very beginning or do you only get to experience it in chunks depending on how you progress on those weekly assignments and exercises? Yeah, it's a structured curriculum. So that means there are chunks. So for mm-hmm. every week, there's a certain amount of lectures that you are supposed to go through, a certain amount of projects that you need to hand in. It's okay. basically a step-by-step approach. Okay, so I really can't fail the first part because then I cannot <laughs> take the rest. I'll try to do my best and really put in the work. Okay, and if we're talking about where you guys are today and where you want to go with the product in the long run. Um, so at this moment, we've tested already several MVPs. We have active users. And we are very excited to start our first paid course uh, in Python, and hopefully next month. So the long-term vision is to become the globally leading social e-learning player. We really want to provide people not only with access to knowledge, but with access to understanding. Mm-hmm. So that's why we uh, really put an emphasis on the human aspect of education. Because humans are not like machines, we cannot just pour in the knowledge into a person but we have to create the right environment so that people can really absorb and acquire those skills. If you look at what companies really need, what, what do mm-hmm. employers, uh, employees need in order to kind of serve for the requirements of the job market of the future, mm-hmm. um, initially we're going to focus a lot on the competences of the futures. So mm-hmm. things like emerging tech mm-hmm. or like uh, programming skills. But then again, there's also so much to be learned in, in the area of soft skills. And so we really try to also put an emphasis, as I already mentioned, uh, on communication, collaboration, on leadership, negotiation, like how do you actually get what you want? And that's also something that we think is really important for women, that they really stand up for right what they, mm-hmm. what they deserve. We are currently have 45% of female users, and this is a program-related course. So this is... And myself. <laughs> so I'll make it up to 50. Um, and then how do you envision uh, getting the content for all those courses that you're going to be onboarding onto the platform? So if you look at all the accessible information that we have today and all the content that's already out there, it's actually not... not bad at all. It's quite, quite good co- mm-hmm. uh, content. Like The knowledge that these course instructors try to convey is really, really high quality. So from our perspective, it really doesn't make sense to start 
trying to make the best online course. That's not mm-hmm. our core competency. Like what we what we try to do is we try to create a, an experience around existing content that really gets to the to the learner. Yeah. So let's talk about how this whole idea came to life. <clears throat> yeah, um, Basti and I got to know each other when we were studying in Copenhagen. And uh, I mean, that was when we were like 24 and 25. So we were very young, very eager mm. to learn new things. And like, like today. <laughs> <laughs> still like that, but like it was like straight out of university. So mm-hmm. like it was just very electric energy. You just want to go on an adventure mm-hmm. and like do something crazy, basically. And um, so I met this um, professor from Oxford University who wanted to start a blockchain company. And it had the mission to move blockchain to the mainstream mm-hmm. and to put uh, technology in the service of humanity. And I thought that was uh, an extraordinarily uh, beautiful vision. So I was very grateful that I was able or asked to contribute to, the, to this project. Um, but that was in 2018. So no one wanted to do anything with blockchain because mm. the big uh, crypto bubble just has has been bursted. And the, like the prices are very low and investors are extremely wary of the technology. Is it just a, a fraud mm. or is it really providing real value? And um, so it was really difficult to find uh, outside investment. Uh, and so I moved to Oxford and eventually... We got a really a big investment from a Chinese company. Um, but the condition was that a big part of the team relocates to China. As I said, I was hungry for some adventure. So I was really excited. I did my exchange semester in uh, Beijing. So I really knew China a little bit. But what I didn't know is that Beijing and this island where I was supposed to go, Hainan, is very different. Because Beijing is an international city and Hainan is basically non-international at all. Like it has like 9 million people living there and 1,900 foreigners are ge- registered to work there. So it's mm-hmm. literally like I, I go there and I was alone. Like all my colleagues, they were also, also Chinese, mm-hmm. they're great people, but it's just difficult to kind of relate. The, the cultural differences are so, so vast. And so I was working there and every time I, or every day when I got off work, I was in my hotel alone and like looking at my phone, trying to talk to my friends or my family in order to kind of put a, like a bandaid on this hurting feeling of, of being alone. And um, yeah, it got worse and worse and I started to get uh, quite sad and also a little bit like sick. I had this uh, chronic cold that just didn't want to go away. And so I um, got really, really interested in um, finding out more about social isolation. And so that's where Basti and I, yeah, not reconnected, but like that's a topic where we really dived in deep and like we really looked into the issues and we found that actually affects a lot of people that are not in the same situation as I am, but are rather sitting in a big city and are technically surrounded by people, but they don't have the right relationships to these people or like they don't feel like they can really open up to them. I mean, right now, it's most of the world being in this situation, <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. Now it's so, more relevant than ever. Yeah, so I guess you were just ahead of your time. Like It's very hard to get yourself back up and, and feel very positive if you know that there's no end in sight and really not a big chance that the environment is going to change around you. Absolutely. I mean, there's, uh, in this situation, there's not much you can do, right? Like That was also one of the reasons why I decided to go back. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you did not have like an end date on that uh, project? No, it's you th- unlimited. Oh, okay. So you thought you would potentially move there forever? Yeah, I mean, not forever, but at least for, for like a few, the next I mean, five yeah, or ten years. For sure, like, that's what I mean, like, well, forever then, is in but today's it, it day. But it feels like yeah. forever, certainly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and then Basti and I, we, we really dived into this topic of uh, social, social isolation, and mm-hmm. we, we really wanted to solve it. Like, we really got obsessed about how can we bring people together in cities so that they can build friendships. Because from our perspective, making genuine friendships is the only thing that can save you from this feeling of being alone. And I mean, humans are essentially social creatures, right? Yeah, I wanted to deny it for a long time. But now I feel like it's it's impossible to deny it. It's just there's so much joy from being around people. The three of us, we don't usually do podcasts. Even I don't usually do podcasts. I just started this recently. But there's so much fun in being together and having a conversation yeah. about things yeah. that we both are passionate about. Um, that I don't think you can replace that with anything, really. No. Yeah, yeah I agree. So, Basti, what's your side of the story? Mine goes actually back to my to my childhood, more like an educational story. Uh, when I was 15, I went to the 11th grade of my high school, and I just want to finish my diploma to go to university and just get over school. 
But the problem was I was not the brightest mind in my class. So I basically failed art, music, German, so pretty any, any subject you can imagine. I was terribly bad that I kind of failed almost all of them. And uh, at the end of the school year, like my teacher came to me, handed over my final grades for the school year. And then I looked at the bottom and saw the score and was like, yeah, I had to repeat entire school year. It doesn't happen so often in Germany. Like you have to be really bad to do this. So um, you're kind of exceptional, is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly, yes. Which rephrase it in this way, that I'm like quite exceptional in this, in this way. And the next user school year started, so I went on Monday morning in my new class, with my new classmates, and they all stared at me. And you can feel like, okay, everybody knows I failed. And do you have this feeling of embarrassment? Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, they're super bad, you repeat an entire year. Yeah, it was like uncomfortable feeling mm. to say but I managed to finish my school so I was able to, to study and get my diploma and um, then I moved to Vienna for my undergraduate and it's really cool like Vienna is the university that looks like a spaceship mm -hmm. and you sit in there you can watch over the, the big park and it's really cool it's a, it's a great university and there I didn't know how to learn but I started to get fascinated about it like mm -hmm. how our brain works how we can throw stuff around in our brain, let it explode, and then remember stuff way better, and all this new science behind it. And um, this basically led me to getting accepted into Copenhagen for a master's. And yeah, right there I met Julian and other really bright students. And that was basically the first time I really understood the power of social learning. Mm -hmm. So we were sitting like in small study groups there and we started to basically discuss and challenge each other, to support each other, give input. And basically, thanks to all this network and the people, I got from this like really bad like high school student at a repeated class to like whether it's best in my year. And it's just thanks to all my friends in Copenhagen. That's amazing. Yeah, so it, it worked. And uh, yeah, it was super interesting to see like the social power of learning, how effectively it can be and how you can flip it around if you have the right conditions. That's very true. It actually reminds me of also of my story in high school because I wanted to go to the Warsaw Business School, but I was in a linguistics class, which meant that I had advanced history and languages, but I also had to take finals in advanced maths. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for my high school maths professor, who rescued me from completely abandoning this idea because I went to a tutor and this tutor put me right away into the deep end of um, I think it was just algebra or um, yeah. analysis and I was completely you know paralyzed and didn't know how to do it and I said to my professor I was like I have to quit I cannot take the finals because I don't know enough and she was like it's six months you know ahead of you we can still sit down and work together and she tutored me for a few months and then I ended up scoring on the level of my uh, other friends from an advanced maths class and nice. i got in into yeah. the business bet, school yeah. but if it wasn't for her like that one moment when she said quitting mm -hmm. is not an option yeah the support and, kind of yeah that support yeah. and also but that whole experience taught me that if i can learn the three-year maths program in six months and pass the exam then yeah. anyone can learn anything because i'm not a math <laughs> genius that's for sure and, yeah. um, you know, it, it took me time to learn all of this, but I was able to uh, overcome that. that it's hurdle. possible for most of the people that just need the right conditions and then they're flying. Yeah, for sure. So I guess that also kind of gives us a little bit of a background of why you chose to focus on this problem of learning and social learning as opposed to yeah, yeah, exactly. building yeah. another social media platform yeah. for <laughs> and get likes. <laughs> So right now, the main focus is to help other people overcome all of those challenges that we were talking about. And it's funny because each of us had a different challenge, but yeah. all of them together kind of create a pretty, I think, robust picture of what can actually happen to humans that even though they have all the best intentions, mm. they just sometimes are hit with a brick and it's really hard for them to, yeah, exactly. to get back out there. So we've got a bit of a background on your story, on the company, but we also wanted to give our audience more understanding on the general problem that you're trying to solve. So how about we talk about what happens when humans are trying to learn stuff? What, what's going on behind the scenes? 
behind the scenes. It's like it's a really complex construct and there are a lot of theories and philosophies of how people learn and we can basically categorize them in like mainstreams and like one of them would be the social constructivism. This mm -hmm. means you learn by interacting with people. That's basically when you have classroom discussions and uh, or what we did in Copenhagen when we studied together or with your tutor. Um, that's basically social constructivism. You, you construct your knowledge with other people in the interaction. That's super powerful and also super difficult to uh, yeah, execute yeah. in the right way. And this is one of the main philosophies of how people actually learn or want to learn. And the another one is really um, evolutionary behaviorism. This means positive reinforcement and reiteration. For example, you have a task you do on your laptop and when you finish it, there's a unicorn flying over your screen. And um, yeah, then we get other theories like so the motivation theory. All this goal setting, hey, set mastery goals, not performance goals. I want to achieve a new level of this uh, knowledge instead of I want to be the first or better than another one. And to get all these philosophies and constructs of how people should learn, but there's not a magic formula of what's the best way. It's just a random mix of all their series into, into mm -hmm. one. Okay. Yeah, especially of the, in that aspect of mastery, that trying to become the best is really very difficult today because in a way you're connected to the whole world and every minute someone much better might emerge that yeah. you don't know of. So really just focusing on overcoming yourself, which is what yeah, exactly. Jordan Peterson would yeah. say. <laughs> but let's not talk about Jordan Peterson. Yeah, just trying to improve day by day. And yeah, yeah. That, that mastery in that sense, that, that yeah. philosophy is very helpful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of research that supports to say every step, every day, new step. Mm -hmm. Instead of when you start to compare yourself to others, they have different conditions how they learn, they have different lengths of how they learn something, and then the person might be way better, and then you get frustrated immediately, or the person is worse, and you're not motivated to uh, learn mm -hmm. more. It's really difficult to really excel when you compare to others. We've got different theories, a lot of different methodologies of how you mm -hmm. can learn. What do you guys see as the key elements for successful learning right now? I think for the for our context of like professionals or adults in the online uh, sphere, let's say like three parts that are important. Um, the first one is relevance. As an adult, you are quite busy with your life, right? You have your partner, you have your friends, you have your work, you have your money, you have your uh, hobbies, and you have your techno parties. <laughs> you got no parties. Good. You have more time now. <laughs> and if the content that you learn is not relevant for you, just immediately have opportunity cost. Okay, if it's not relevant for me, I just can do it something else that's more relevant for me or more important for me. You directly flip yeah, and stop doing it if it's not relevant for you. I think that's one really important part. The other one is resilience. And that's really tricky to nail. Resilience is basically about motivation. And you got like a positive and a negative, kind of negative side to it. Like the positive means you have to make progress and like a positive reinforcement every day when you learn something. They say, hey, you're good and you're progressing and um, it's working. And from the negative side, you will be frustrated at some point when you learn because you were stuck somewhere and it's normal. And how do you handle this? You try to reduce the frustration and you increase uh, positive reinforcement on it. That's for the motivation part. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is super complex because people are differently motivated. It changes kind of every day for them sometimes. And um, yeah, and I think the last part is prior knowledge. And let's imagine your mind like a file system for existing files and existing knowledge and you learn something new and you try to put their new file onto an existing one and they can connect. If there's no existing file in your mind, then it's really hard to understand. So if you try to learn new knowledge and you cannot connect it to your prior knowledge, then you will have a hard time to understand anything. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think it's super important. And this is where all the AI adaptive learning goes into to match it to the knowledge of the Mm -hmm. learner and to, to stick on this and so what would you say people that have no prior knowledge in a certain topic but really want to learn it can do i mean that the different ways also like small kids learn a lot of from scratch but they spend a lot of time and observing behavior of other people and learning step mm -hmm. by step i think for adults they mostly have somehow a connection to even completely unrelated fields they just have to tell a story hey for example i'm a Let's say I'm a marketing person, I will learn maths. And then my math teacher just tells me a story about how to increase the marketing campaigns and how to calculate it. So he gets me interested in a marketing story and in this story he embeds mathematics concepts. 
then it will be easier for me to grasp yeah. it. So it's all about creating meaning and creating context yeah, that exactly. will motivate you enough to put in more effort yeah. so that you actually learn whatever you want to Yeah, it will basically make it way easier for you to, to understand. And this leads to more motivation because you're more into it and you understand it better and you feel better about it. Yeah. We are complicated monkeys in yeah. the end, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Okay, and we've seen a ton of tools um, frameworks coming yeah. out to the market and um, i've asked you guys a little bit um, ahead of the recording to look into everything that is out there in the in the market is there something that you see being utilized so far maybe not only in adult learning but also in the kind of university student teacher context that you think are good tools right now for people to use yes i think i mean for the adult space or for the professional space, I think like boot camps, mm -hmm. for example, Strive School is like a new startup here in Berlin, um, where you spend like full time, six months dedicated with a teacher. Um, I think this really helps people if you can spend six months if on you it. Can, if you That's can afford it. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, but I think this concept works to a certain degree pretty well. I mean, there are also other programs which um, help quite a lot of people. So for instance, there's a a company called Treehouse, and they mm -hmm. have something called Tech Degrees. Okay. And it's very, very much applied. So it's not necessarily... I think it's like a project-based uh, system. So people are building real applications, and they learn it on the go. So that basically kind of goes into this um, perspective it, of creating relevance. Mm -hmm. So it's, if you want it's kind to, of like a trade school mentality, right? But if you think about the online tools, is there anything that you got inspired by? I mean, there are a lot of platforms like EDX and Coursera. And mm -hmm. I mean, what they're doing really well is the content. Mm -hmm. right? You got like really amazing content on the platform from Harvard, from Stanford. And you can listen to the actually professor that teaching it. Mm -hmm. And you got all the exercises to it. I think this part, is, I think this is really good. I mean, the content wise. So it was also like Julian said already, there's a lot of really good content out there that um, are there for free. Mm -hmm. Before I came here, I read this article in Harvard Business Review on disruptive um, innovation models. And it talked about how disruption happens in different businesses and different sectors. But interestingly enough, it's an old article. It's from 2015. It talks about how the only sector that seems to be very resilient to disruption is education. Yeah. actually and i found it interesting that it's such an old article it's been five years nothing has changed so and they were they were already saying mm -hmm. that nothing has changed even though other sectors are capable of introducing that innovation disruption whatever challenge you yeah. you name it even though they would say you need to stick to the accurate names but whatever but um, education still suffers from being very much old school. And let's say if you look at the American uh, educational system, only if you have enough money, you're able to get yeah. access to it. Not so much this year, I think, because they're, they started putting out content on YouTube, which is free. Mm -hmm. So you can get some access to it. But then the question is how well you can internalize it as yeah. a person and then use it. And you don't have the credibility of the institute that gives you a certificate, hey, you finished it. Yeah, that's another thing, right? That um, I don't, I haven't heard of any YouTube certificates yet, so <laughs> likely it's not happening, but million dollar idea <laughs> here. Yeah, I mean, it really depends also on the space or like on the, mm -hmm. on the let's say, academic field. So, mm -hmm. for instance, in programming, because there's a high need for programmers or for this particular skill, uh, employers are all of a sudden happy to make compromises on stuff like a degree certificate, right? There's a lot of companies who say, hey, if you're good at programming, we don't care if you have a degree. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go into another field, let's say, I don't know, like psychology, chemistry or psychology yeah. um, it's unthinkable that you would uh, work at a hospital without a degree. I'm not arguing whether this makes sense or not, but I'm just saying that in some fields, um, maybe requiring a de degree is is not really what is useful or like uh, it's helpful mm -hmm. um, so I think what's also really interesting is like for instance Google um, they uh, created a, a new certification like they have like a Google Academy I don't know their specific name mm -hmm. and um, it's a program which is really focusing on the practical application 
because what you learn at university is mostly academic stuff and it's not that helpful in order to do your job. And uh, they're saying that you can basically require or like get the same skills in like, I don't know, six or nine months that you would otherwise get at a, like a IT or cyber, uh, computer science degree. And uh, that they are also willing to employ people who do their de uh, tech degree or however this is called uh, compared to a university degree. And I think this is a, a really cool step forward to a future where um, education is really more dem democratized. Yeah, especially that given the Google brand and their exquisite engineering team, if they mm -hmm. teach or they teach in collaboration with other um, experts, this is probably the most valuable stream of knowledge you can get about programming and skill set uh, from people that actually sit and code and build stuff that the whole world is using on a daily basis. Yeah. So yeah, that's a super cool initiative. I will check yeah. that out. It has a good, good signaling because other companies who might be not as, let's say, accomplished, or like mm -hmm. who are looking up to Google as a, as a mm -hmm. successful company, they might be led to believe that if Google can do it this way, we can also kind of lower our academic standards or requirements. And I think this is really the, the power of this motion. In the end, it's important that whenever you're recruiting, you actually try to test and probe for what people know, even, even if they have a degree, right? Like that's why you get the assessment center. That's why you always get some tasks yeah. um, and you get to kind of see where people really stand with the skill set that they're um, that they have so that definitely that helps and and it kind of just points to the chance that people will be less discriminated um, because of not having a certain certificate so that's cool how about we list the key issues that you see right now with adult learning and how you guys are addressing it through Optimo? I think this is a helpful way of painting that picture for anyone who's working with the team, managing teams or working in HR mm -hmm. to understand what are the areas that are problematic and how can they help to address it using your platform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... When we look at all the online courses, I mean, we said like the content itself is great, but people just don't finish it. I mean, if you look at the, the motivation part of it, you can be self-motivated for like a couple of days or for a couple of weeks max. And then beyond this, you just basically stop learning. And uh, But if you want to really reskill or upskill, um, it takes more than two, three weeks. I mean, you have to invest more time. And the resilience and the motivation part is then the tricky part. And it's also the part that um, you cannot compensate just with great content. You need way more behind this that it works. And um, yeah, I think this is where the, the key reasons lie um, why most platforms actually are not that um, successful in educating people. And for this, we got, let's say, three parts. Like the first one is the emotional support part we talked about before. When you learn, for example, coding, you will be frustrated definitely at some point. Maybe Why are you like saying two this? days. I'm so I'm so looking <laughs> forward to this course. <laughs> Just get Don't the expectations right. <laughs> but it's it's okay. You will have a, a point where you're frustrated and a couple of them and it's fine as long as someone who you are connected to can tell you, hey, you will be fine, you can do it. The same as you are Mm -hmm. mathematics like um, in high school um, I think this is one one crucial part and for this it works you need a certain connection to a person and the classic online community is not sufficient like you cannot write a chat with like 500 people and say hey how do you feel and give me support there's no real connection there that's why the emotional support doesn't work the other one is opportunity costs we said before like, adults have a lot of um, stuff to do that excites them and you can do like sports and meet friends and work and you can also study but the point of studying itself, how it's done right now, it's not really engaging. It's not fun. You always recalculate every moment. Okay, my opportunity cost um, to study now, that's not super engaging compared to when I do X, Y, Z. That's more fun for me. doesn't make sense for me. And the longer you go on the program, after three, four weeks, you start to favor the other things more and more. And then sometimes it flips. So it's not super engaging to learn online and my motivation drops further and further. So I want to do something else, and you stop doing it. I think Basti described it as a very conscious process, but it doesn't have to be a conscious process. It can also be just, you know, you get off work, you come at home, you feel very saggy and groggy, and then you're just like, okay, I could now 
concentrate for two hours learning Python, or I could sit on the couch and watch Netflix. And it's not like a, Netflix like you, it is. It's not like you're like calculating the long-term benefit yeah. of uh, learning Python, but rather, okay, today I'm like I had a rough day. I take a break. And the problem is then your habit is broken. You do this mm -hmm. two or three times and then you're done. You're out. Mm -hmm. You yeah. can never yeah. pick it up again. Uh, there's an interesting rule that James Clear always mentions. Uh, he's the author of Atomic Habits. And he just says, never break the habit twice. Because you can break it once, it happens. But always, you always need to go back you know, to whatever you were yeah. doing and, and follow that habit. I have that with intermittent fasting that I sometimes allow myself to not go the 14 or 16 hours. Mm -hmm. But I know that next day is, no, it's a no-go to cut it, so. Yeah, but do you always skip the breakfast or is it enough? Breakfast. breakfast, I hate breakfast. My mom would always make me eat breakfast and I've always hated breakfast. Because the thing is, I wake up and I'm busy. I do things. I don't want to stop and eat and then, you know, have my blood sugar go low and then not have energy. I have just have, I have a lot of energy. Yeah. And so until I've gotten rid of it, it's usually 2 p.m. So then I'm like, good. That's not what works. I mean, that's so amazing breakfast, like bananas and chocolate on it. And you can do really cool stuff in the morning. <laughs> but I know other cool stuff you can do and they don't involve food. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> So I don't really need it. And I mean working out, people. Calm down. Uh, um, how about we go back to importance of adult learning? Yeah. So we said we said motivation, we said resilience. What else? What what are the other elements um, that are important? Yeah, so we got like emotion support, right? Opportunity costs. And this all falls into the resilience motivation part. And the the last one that I think it's quite important to mention is like social isolation. We touched on it before, but we are inherently social animals. Being in contact with other people is not nice to have. We need this. Uh, otherwise, we feel terrible. But if you like invest, I don't know, how many hundreds of hours in learning something over months and you do it alone, you kind of... Um, feel like Julian in China. <laughs> like, yeah, you feel like you learn in, in China and uh, and the problem is if such a fundamental thing is missing um, just give up because your brain tells you hey that's not correct for you it gives you like sickness stop doing this you will feel bad and you actually feel bad and then your motivation like drops mm. completely yeah the social isolation is a huge uh, problem I think generally what social media initially was trying to do to help people connect more with other yeah. people, to, to help them have more purpose in sharing their stories, their hobbies. That was a good idea. I mean, where they went, obviously, is, is, another, is another story. Yeah. However, anyone can recognize this in their own behavior, that if they do something cool, they instantly have this need of telling somebody yeah, else like, yeah. and sharing it with someone else. Because only if it's shared, it has utility. Yeah then you make an impact. It's an experience that you can talk about with other people and so is it with skills. They're pretty useless if you cannot impact other people with yeah, exactly. while yeah. using them. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. Is there anything else? I think, I mean, there's so much more, <laughs> but I think these are the most important parts of... Uh, that how you guys are going to design the courses. Yeah, how we're going to design the course and what we see is like missing right now in the market. Okay, so I guess we have the full spec of all of the benefits that people will get uh, while signing up for your program. And the first one is going to be the Python course. Mm -hmm. So if anyone is interested, you can join me and other <laughs> interested people in exploring the, the new role of becoming a developer. Okay, so the first one is Python. And then what's the plan for the next course? Then we'll move into like the entire data science area. Python is the first start of it, then we will go to SQL, to a statistics course, and then cover this data mm -hmm. science trick. Mm -hmm. um, I always yeah. loved statistics when I was at school. It, was... it can be fun. Wait, we went on a tangent again. Okay, so <laughs> last but not least, we wanted to address the future of learning and talk about the big uh, trends that are emerging in the market. So how about you guys tell us what you're saying? Yeah, so in corporate learning, there's currently a big shift happening. 
from instructor-led uh, trainings. Uh, so this is basically everything which is physical and in-person uh, to online learning. And um, obviously due to the pandemic, this is uh, greatly increased like uh, this transformation. Here, just to give you some number, uh, like there's a company called Udacity and they do also like, like nano degrees and like online programs. They saw a 260% revenue growth in the, like during the first lockdown. Um, of course, this is going to normalize a little bit, but I think in general this trend uh, persists because it was ongoing for the last few years mm -hmm. and it's just been accelerated through the pandemic. Um, so the second um, trend that, I, uh, that we see is basically um, that upskilling and also reskilling are becoming more relevant for employers and employees alike. Um, the reason is uh, the digitization that's happening. Um, so just uh, to give you an idea, like today the shelf life of a new technology-related skill is five years. So um, that means that the average employee is going to spend way more of his uh, share of uh, work time learning new skills, relearning skills, advancing the toolkit. And for instance, here in Germany, um, like a big part of the workforce, they don't really have the the skills that the future job market requires and the employers don't really have the capacity to kind of keep up with this ongoing demand of new skills. And so governments all over the world, also here in Germany, they try to kind of address this. Here in Germany we had this uh, in April, I think it was, an adaptation to the Weiterbildungsgesetz. So this is like a law which kind of regulates how easy and accessible these qualification opportunities mm -hmm. are to employees. So what they did is they kind of reduced the threshold for employees to get access to these um, funds. Yeah, to get, to get access to certain me measures, like quali further qualification measures, also to um, kind of help especially SMEs to um, get access to funds, as you said. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I believe, I mean, it was in April, so that was probably also kind of inspired by, uh, by the pandemic. But this is definitely gonna, gonna stay like this. Like there's a huge uh, imbalance between what people are having as skills today and what they are gonna need in the future and also capability of the entire society to kind of continuously improve. Yeah, and adapt. I think this is a big trend from the corporate uh, perspective, especially if you think about it. The understanding that employees need to become more productive, kind of more efficient, so that they have more room to learn. It's not that they learn in their free time, in their spare time, but learn how to work in a smart way and eliminate as many of the operational hurdles and any issues or any blockers from people to be able to work efficiently and so that they can have more time to start taking courses like yours or uh, just generally have room to learn and not be and not feel that this is something that they can only do in their free time because they're not getting paid for it. But really what the employers yeah. should do is support that perpetual learning mindset mm -hmm. by making courses like that available to people. And I think with what you guys are trying to do, which is solving the problem, the motivation and accountability problems with your with your tool. That is like a perfect combination of employers supporting this from their end and you providing the best circumstances for people and the and that perfect environment where they can just uh, thrive and, and learn. Yeah, I mean almost everyone agrees that learning is like super super important. But everyone um says that the reason why they're not learning more is because they don't have the time. So mm -hmm. your point is actually spot on. I think the CEO's role right now in this situation is to make time for them. And then that should help them solve for so many problems down the line, which nobody wants to think about because it's very abstract to think about where you're going to be in 10 years, mm -hmm. where you have to put yourself in your 2030 shoes and be like, okay, and turn back and be like, okay, that's what we needed, yeah. you know, and that, and then kind of. Um, yeah, it's so hard this. to predict. Like, Very hard. And, yeah. I mean, if you ask me, I think we are already late. Like in China, everyone is using mobile payments. Like a, like we had in our building, like a facial recognition, which uh, like lets you in inside the building. Like mm -hmm. it's it's crazy. It's everywhere already these technologies. Whereas here in in Germany, it's 
Like we're still in this phase yeah. where we are building up these uh, capabilities. I mean, one of the better things that happened because of COVID in Berlin is that you get to pay with card in <laughs> yeah, different places. Because yeah. <laughs> otherwise, we would probably never make that shift. So there are some good things that uh, came out of um, the coronavirus. There's uh, one more okay. uh, trend because of the same. Okay. Oh, well, oh, really? I said three big trends. Okay. We've got one more trend. So tell us, Julian. Okay, and the last one I'm going to briefly cover is basically um, that more learning providers are going to leverage technology and, and more sophisticated programs are going to emerge. And the three top technologies in that sense are artificial intelligence, um, virtual or augmented reality, and then also social learning. Mm -hmm. And so um, for AI, um, a lot of providers, they try to do personalized um, programs. So it's also something that... Uh, Basti basically already um, kind of cover, uh, touched upon really, really briefly. That's um, this adaptive learning was like mm -hmm. tap on your prior knowledge and mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, because the the ideal like in an ideal world you would have a learning program which always is so difficult that you're on the on this uh, on Con this verge of entering the flow state. Mm -hmm. Right, it's really difficult. You need to really be there in order to absorb or learn the knowledge. And um, this is a, a state that's also like uh, it kind of instills a lot of happiness and, and also productivity in humans. But it's unfortunately really really difficult to get this right. So we I can never pronounce the last name of the professor that discovered kind of flow state and 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 is the master of flow psychology. See and then super long name because he's Hungarian. Yeah. Um, but I will link to this in the no show notes. <laughs> Yeah, and then the, the other technology, uh, virtual and augmented reality, is also super interesting. So, for instance, surgeons, they can learn in a virtual classroom some very risky maneuvers. and mm -hmm. or, like, or maybe like a, an astronaut can kind of go through the launch of a space shuttle. So these are really high-risk environments. And with that, we can save a lot of uh, lives or like uh, a lot of money. Like it's really cost-effective. And uh, even in more average Uh, people kind of uh, scenarios like in, in school, like in, in the classroom or maybe in uh, at the office in, in the workplace. It's just a way more immersive experience. So at the moment, like what we have in remote learning is basically a computer screen and that's really, really non-immersive. Mm -hmm. Like I can always yield out my phone and then I'm already distracted in somewhere else. Whereas if you are wearing this headset, this VR headset, you're completely in the experience. Like no one would just take off the headset and then look on their phone. Like it's the barrier is much, much bigger. Mm -hmm. And so um, this wow. is, uh, it, it would have been great if we already had that. Uh, for instance, um, like a lot of um, high school teachers are really struggling to get people engaged these, in mm -hmm. these times because everything's remote these days and um, yeah, they cannot force people to pay attention with their presence like they could in a, like a real physical classroom. And so a lot of um, like young people are unfortunately not experiencing the same quality of education these days. And that's uh, hopefully not going to be a big problem in the future as this is just a short period, but this is definitely problematic. Yeah. So. yeah, of course, and that also brings us to the kind of the downside of the technology. It's obviously not uh, not ready, and also the equipment is really expensive. Like we are not even even capable of providing a laptop to every kid out there. How are we supposed to provide a VR ready equipment mm. to everyone? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty unfortunate. But again, space for innovation and some disruption. Yes. So yeah, maybe definitely. someone's going to come out and build. Those crazy cheap headsets that <laughs> uh, everyone's going to use. Hey, you never know. Yeah. And so the last thing is the social learning. Uh, that's basically what we are doing. Uh, we believe that this is uh, going to have the most immediate impact. Um, and especially younger generations are really fond of social interaction. So LinkedIn uh, did a survey where over 70% of uh, millennials said that they require so social interaction in order to learn effectively. But as we already described, this is also almost like an art to get it right, to put in the right people together, provide the right circumstances so that they really connect and can discuss uh, in the right way. So this is also going to be something that we still need to work on. Yeah, but you know, Picasso didn't 
paint his best paintings, you know, at the first try. He was trying and trying and testing until he mastered it at some point. So yeah, same way we do. That's the only way to go. <laughs> but that's cool. All right, thank you so much, guys, for all the all the trends. Very interesting. Um, I think we're gonna get a lot of good feedback from you sharing all of that and even just putting it out there and, and raising awareness is very helpful. And before I let you go, we're going to move to my favorite segment, <laughs> the VP roulette. So as we discussed before we started rolling, you decided that each one of you will be picking three questions each other. for each other. I will let you pick three Basti for Julian and then let's try make, well, we can pick the same or different numbers than Julian can pick for you. Mm -hmm. So two, seven and nine. Okay. And yours? One, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs> okay. Question number two. What would you do if money was not the issue? You both can answer this because you both have the same. I mean, that might sound a bit cheeky, but not so much different. I think one of the coolest experiences that you actually can't buy with money is building a startup. I mean, if I wouldn't do this and I had as much money as I want, I probably would just uh, uh, travel and play music and write and ponder about philosophy. I think these are the things, but... You will not... do after the exit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think these like brain heavy, like you sit there, you think about philosophy or you compose like a piano piece, kind of this stuff. I think it's super cool. Yeah. My favorite thing to do is either doing hard, like physically hard challenges or thinking. Like is, Iron Man. Yeah, I will never do an Iron Man, but just like for where I am right now, yeah. I can do, you know, like long runs or really tough workouts or just Thinking. Thinking is so hard. If you really have to focus on something, if you really deeply think about something, it's you can get really tired. Yeah. Um, okay, Julian, what about you? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, quite a boring answer, but I'd probably also like, build this company regardless. Um, like, we have this philosophy that um, it's basically about, like, life is, life is the journey, or life is the trip, right? Where you ask where we want to ex kind of enjoy every moment instead of looking at this big goal at the end and be like, okay, I'm going to conserve my happiness for that moment when, once I reach that goal. I think there's a lot of happiness in everyday life. Like, I think it should be kind of like enjoying the journey rather than waiting for something, some accomplishment. But um, if I wouldn't be doing this, I'd probably be really excited to go on uh, expeditions to like explore maybe the rainforest in um, some exotic countries and like try to find new animals and like name them however I please. I can never be really cool. <laughs> That's super cool. So actually your answer makes me think of the name. How did you guys decide that it's going to be named after the octopus? <laughs> yeah, it's because um, the octopus has a lot of neurons in their tentacles, so more than in the brain. So the intelligence is very decentralized, and I would, I think, it would be so interesting to kind of experience for like an hour or something, like how that feels, like when your brain is not like one central system, but rather like distributed throughout your body. Yeah, that's for sure. And then uh, we will move to question maybe number one. Mm -hmm. So that will be for you, Basti. What does the new normal mean to you? Uh, so in case of. I think the, the meaning of this question changes now with time yeah. and I'm not sure what the new normal is anymore. No, so I, I, I guess I guess the better question would be what does reality mean to you? I think there's a there's an kind of feel bad to phrase it in a positive way because there's so much bad thing happen. But I think you get like more intimate relationships a bit because you can't do that much. Like you have to stay in with like one or two people. And um, yeah, you just have to be there and talk or find some crazy hobbies you can do at home, but not really go out and meet like a lot of people. So I think the connection is more intimate on this level. I think it's an interesting experience for me. Yeah, and apart from this, I mean, I'm in the lucky position that I can work from everywhere. And those effect 
on me on this minimal is pretty limited to mm -hmm. be honest yeah so you're you're gonna get cancelled for that um, <laughs> and the last question for you then with the cancel culture the last question for you is what's the best thing that came out of the new normal but i guess you've answered in partial like partially to yeah, say like the better yeah yeah but better relationships yeah because you're like kind of forced to uh like, to listen to your girlfriend finally yes <laughs> <laughs> we have to sit there all day next to each other like i can't do anything else so i can also listen there she's in heaven no <laughs> yeah but that's good okay and then the two questions for you julian your question number seven is the best advice you've ever gotten the best advice i've ever gotten do you want a different question no i'm gonna answer it <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Go uh, ahead. Uh, yeah. So as I said, I was uh, once in uh, China for exchange, and uh, I had this professor who was also an entrepreneurship in China class, and he uh, gave the advice to me to uh, go out to a meditation retreat, and like a silence meditation retreat where you are just meditating and like not talking. And for me, that really was, I mean, it's very basic advice. So I just go there and do it. But I think this experience was really putting me on a path where I was, uh, I don't know, like, but basically um, kind of um, really experiencing what I said earlier about this philosophy of living moment by moment rather than chasing some long-term goals. And I think this was really impactful to me. Found experience, I think, when mm -hmm. you don't speak for a week. Well, you talk to yourself. But that's yeah. It's very different. <laughs> it's a very different experience. Internal dialogue. And so we've got last question for you: Is the best book you read this year? Um, for me, the best book was um, how's it called? This Chris Foss book, like this uh, negotiation book. Do you know how, how it's called? Uh, I know what you mean, but nah. But I like it because I thought that all these um, insights that I got from the book were extremely relevant to me, and it's also very entertainment to read. Mm -hmm. Like I was always like giggling or like because it's very story based, and I was always very entertained and delighted. So that was really a pleasure to read. Okay, cool. We'll try to find the title of the book and then. <laughs> And then link it's fine. We'll find it later and then we'll link it link to it in the show notes. And um, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story and talking about um Octomo. We are all I mean at least I am very excited for the course and I'm excited to see what new stuff is gonna come out out of the initiative and in the next year what new programs are gonna be available. Uh we will obviously link to your LinkedIn profiles and the company um, website in the show notes so people can reach out to you and hopefully that will spark some more conversations and, yes. and interesting partnerships as yeah. well. Cool. And thank you very much for having us. It was a it pleasure was a to pleasure. talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. And thanks to our audience who is loyal and <laughs> listens to us every week. And until we hear each other again, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.